Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome again to Book Realities, our series of interviews with authors. And today we're joined by Lee Gaten, who has contributed to an anthology for Book Reality. Hi Anne, how are you? I'm great, how are you? It's early for you, right? It's very early for me over here in my Australia. My day is done, baby. I'm put. I'm kicking back and putting my feet up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so whereabouts is your world happening I for am, you? Yeah, right now I am in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in the U.S. And uh, that's well, you know, we're, people are so funny. Um, I am not from this area of the country originally, but I have probably lived here longer than anywhere else. But it's not home. And I have told my husband in no express terms, when I die, do not leave me here. You take me home. Depends. It's like, you're not going to know. Oh, I'll know. I will know. <laughs> I so will where, know. where was, where would you call home? Where would you call home? home uh, where I grew up was in Pennsylvania in the, um, in the U.S. Although I must tell you um, something important to me. Uh, people laugh about Americans when they say, um, you know, I'm Irish, I'm German, I'm Italian. They're like, no, you're not, you're American. But the heritage is very important here. And all four of my grandparents were immigrants from Italy. So I have a very pure bloodline. And you can even check. And so you could breed me, okay? You could breed me. <laughs> and in fact, I have been bred, but I sort of sullied that bloodline. Uh, so I was I am second generation. My parents were first generation and I grew up in a small town in in uh, southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, if you know uh, at all for orientation, Philadelphia is the big city on the east side and Pittsburgh is the big city on the west side. And I grew up about an hour from there in a small Fantastic. Town. So you're married, you've got kids and grandchildren, you live down in Georgia. I can see behind you an air conditioning unit. I have heard from people in Georgia that it can get kind of sticky and steamy. This was the crappiest summer in the history of crappy summers. It was horrible. It did nothing but rain and sun. It was rain, sun, rain, sun, steam, steam. I did not... My hair was so frightening. I mean, I have very large hair and it grows. And I would, I teach uh, during the day and I would start out in class in the morning, my hair like this. By 1030, it's a little, by 12 o'clock, I have to turn sideways to get out of my classroom door. So this, we have central air, but this room gets the afternoon sun and here in the summer, it is brutal. Well, you know about brutal heat too, but I have a heater right here a little space heater and an air conditioner a, a, a auxiliary air conditioner over there because this more now the weather has changed like that and it's really chilly so i have either the heat in the morning and the ac in the afternoon there's just no pleasing me ian is what it comes down to <laughs> you said there that you were a teacher during the day so yeah. you're a full-time teacher of english as a second language 
Yes, sir. Um, I teach at a small college, only about five miles from my house, which is wonderful. Um, so I can sleep up to the very last minute and then roll in. And I teach English as a second language to adults, to adult learners, anyone from uh, 20 to, I've had someone as old as 80, 80, 81 in my class. Um, anyone younger than that, you cannot come here if you are still in high school in the U.S., even if you say you've just moved to the U.S. from somewhere else, um, you know, like Australia, and you have to learn real English. And, um, and <laughs> Ooh. Oh, that's I know we corrupted it. I know. I know. Um, but if you uh, but a lot of times I will have younger teenagers because maybe they've come here to visit visit a relative or a friend for three months and they want to practice English, you know, or American. And um, so I will have, uh, I've had some kids like 16. I had one kid 15 years old and a, and a grandpa 81. So, but I would say generally it's 20 to 40, you know, sort of that range. Very good. So if that's your full-time job, mm -hmm. how did you get into writing? Was writing something that you've wanted to do since you were a little girl or... Yeah, um, actually, you know, the little girl that was on the stone tablets because I've just had a birthday. So back when I was a little girl, we were writing on the stone tablets and <laughs> it was so much longer than, you know, and doing cursive on the stone tablets. Actually, it's the other way around. I was a writer, um, a public relations writer, a news writer, um, advertising, marketing, radio, TV. Um, and I would always sort of teach, uh, on the side and, or on the front, in the front, you know, on, on the back, whatever. And, um, then I always want, but I did always want to write a book. I was always writing for someone else in someone else's voice, because that's what paid. Um, my voice did not pay that much. Um, and so actually my first book was published way back in that other century. I don't know if you're familiar with the 20th century. Uh, that was the one I really liked. Okay. <laughs> and then I had a really huge life uh, disaster. Let's just say that. Um, in the space of one year, my father died. My mother fell into a coma and we didn't know if she would recover. And on Christmas Eve, a couple day or two before Christmas Eve, my husband at the time of 22 years announced to me very casually, rather unceremoniously, that he had in fact invested secretly in a business that I didn't know anything about, had quit his job, and had lost every single penny of our savings, checking, oh, please, checking, that was nothing, uh, investment, retirement, he had liquidated everything while I was taking care of my uh, very ill and or dying parents. And um, to top it off, he was also leaving me and he was moving across the country, across the U.S., the other end of the country to live with an old girlfriend who just happened to be a former stripper with five children. <gasps> Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and P.S., don't say anything. This was my favorite part of it. He said, don't say anything to anyone until January because, you know, I don't want to ruin anyone else's holiday. So apparently I didn't even qualify as anyone else. 
third point. And here's how much of a surprise it was, Ian. And, and there's a point to this story, because uh, a lot of my writing grows out of, of this kind of situation. Um, I, being totally ignorant of this new disaster that was about to uh, hit me in the face, was trying to decorate for Christmas and everything. This is the first Christmas without my dad. My mom is, we don't know what's going to happen with my mom. My daughter is coming home from her first year uh, at college or university, as, as you guys say. And so I was trying to not be sad and everything. And at the last minute, I realized that I had never finished putting all the decorations on the tree because I had run out of, of the hooks. To, to put the ornaments on and I walked into the living room and I said um hey and my he looked at me and he said um yeah hey I'm leaving and I said oh great are you going to Walmart I don't know if you know what Wal like a discount stroke <laughs> I said oh great are you going to Walmart because we need you know more hooks and and he, no, Lee, not Walmart, Target, nah, not Target. And then he spills out, I'm leaving you and the da, 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 da. The first thing I said was, so like you're not getting the hooks or you are getting the hooks? <laughs> so will you, will you drop back with the hooks? Or... <laughs> so that was right after my first book had been published and I had the, um, book proposal for the second book and I had an agent and everything because this was back in the old days when there was no self-publishing or you know any there was no inter really no internet to speak of or anything um and I had a regular publishing contract anyhow uh destitution was on my doorstep and I didn't have time to write a book and hope for you know fun and profit because everything was gone and he had left me with about $100,000 of debt in my own name. And so, uh, yeah, writing was not an issue. I needed to start teaching full-time and have insurance. And full-time was nothing. I worked no fewer than five jobs for a couple of years. And then I worked three for 10 years. And I paid off everything and met a wonderful new man. And finally got to write that second book 10 years after the first one but it was about everything that I went through and how to kind of survive a crisis <laughs> that you didn't see and also where to get good hooks for your Christmas tree ornament if that is ever a title for a book it's that it's where to get good hooks for your Christmas tree there you go well, my title was My Pineapples Went to Houston is the title. And the subtitle is, um, I have to think, uh, Finding the Humor in My Dashed Hopes, Broken Dreams, and Plans Gone Outrageously Awry. So that book's still available online, isn't it? Absolutely. And in fact, the second, the first one uh, was an Amazon bestseller. And the second edition, uh, which has new material added to it, sort of an, an update, is also available on Amazon. And the title of that came from, I was talking to a man one time and he was telling me this long involved story, uh, how he is, was trying to send a crate of fresh pineapples back to uh, the States from Guatemala. 
and his wife got re her plane went to Miami and his plane was sent to Atlanta and da 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 and he goes it was just horrible it was the worst logistical nightmare you know kind of typical thing that happens with airlines and weather and things sometimes and his last line was Emma pineapples well my pineapples went to Houston and he did not live in Houston so. <laughs> And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so perfect. We plan and plan and plan. And sometimes pineapples go to freaking Houston. What can I tell you? <laughs> so when you came to write for us, because it, mm -hmm. it it's an interesting how we actually connected. So yeah. Rika Keenan lives yes. in Florida. Love her. And Rika had written a book, um, Petals. It was a memoir. And yes, she it was so wonderful. It's a beautiful book. Oh my gosh, she is such a beautiful assist. writer. Oh, yeah. Um, so we got Rika's book and we'd helped her um, uh -huh. independently publish that book in yeah. Florida. But Rika had a couple of either ideas and one of her ideas had been for an anthology of women stories by women writers, but focused on the act of forgiveness. And I thought it was a great idea. Yeah. And I said, but where are we going to find 21 women? And Rika <laughs> said, oh, I can get you quite a few. So all of a sudden <laughs> I had all of these submissions coming in from women all over the world. So we've got Australian writers, New Zealand writers. We've got British and Northern Irish and Irish writers. And then we've got Americans from East Coast to West Coast, from North yeah. to South. Your particular story, and you've covered a lot of the angst that has happened, but your story focused on a different aspect of it. So do you want to talk us through the story that you wrote? Yeah, that was a different, um, because I, I would I classify myself, I'm pretty much classified as a humor writer, or at least finding the humor in really difficult situations, because that is really my superpower. I think that's the only thing sometimes I have at my disposal to get through something. But Rika had contacted me, and she didn't really tell me too much about it, um, but to write about forgiveness. And this particular situation that was probably the hardest situation that I faced where the idea of forgiveness was so complex and complicated and layered and just so many strings to pull out of that ball because I am um, I'm really I'm a very forgiving person I think probably like a lot of people or a lot of women not of myself of course but <laughs> but of other people um, it's semi big things you know or I'm certainly not um, a grudge holder and and it's gotten much easier as I've gotten older because my memory's gotten really bad so I don't remember oh you're the guy that set my house on fire oh okay come on in <laughs> If you don't remember what they did no i'm not i'm not a grudge holder i just you know it just takes too much energy and to think about i don't really like to nurse i do um with myself with things i've done wrong i go over and over and over and i'm a bad ruminator but not with other people but this particular situation was just so complicated and so the betrayal was so huge because it was on every level and it wasn't 
even that my ex-husband wanted a divorce. It wasn't even that. It was that this affair had been going on behind my back all this time while my parents were dying and he wasn't there for me. Okay, I can kind of even get over that because I knew his backstory and it was a very complicated, complex one. There had been some, you know, fairly severe trauma in his background. So if I were not on the receiving end of this, I could get it. I could see where his emotional train was going to go off the rails. But as an adult, I, it was really hard for me to say, yeah, but you still have to act responsibly. You still have to treat other people fairly. And it was the fact that he just gutted every aspect of my life and let, didn't say, hey, I have really made a mess of things, but I want to, I'll stay to try to help clean up as much as I can. And then, you know, or we can get divorced, but I'm going to try to live up to the obligations I have to you and our daughter. But no, I mean, cut and run. And then the part that really, got, I was even okay with all of that. You know, I was still speaking with him, trying to help him. Um, it's the lack of acknowledgement that this even happened. And I think that's what, that's when the rubber really meets the road with this forgiveness business, when it has to be an, something you do with yourself. All you, many people, anyhow, I did not want restitution, although a check would have been nice. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have turned that down, gift cards, you know. But I didn't want um, to berate anyone or belabor it. And you did it. I can't. No, no. I just wanted him to say, wow, I am so sorry. I don't want to rehash it. I, I've lost my mind. I've lost my way. I'm really struggling. But I am so sorry that I did this to you. And you didn't deserve it. You deserved better. You weren't perfect. But, you know, you deserved better than this. The end. I never got even that. All I got was, hey, get over it. So that story mm -hmm. that you gave to us, it was entitled Seeking Authentic Forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult to write and put those words down on paper yeah. that other people were going to read them? And exactly. The book, it's, it's there. It's really, um, you know, exposing yourself and in anything I write I don't mind exposing myself um emotionally <laughs> trust me I'm 65 you don't want any other kind of southern exposure okay but um I'm always careful how much I share about other people so I like to stick to the facts this is what happened you know but I don't really want to share things about them that are not it's not my story to tell but I, Ian, that story was, I couldn't really write about uh, the two of us coming together and mutual forgiveness, you know, or we worked this out and we parted as friends or anything, but I can't even explain to you. I could not live with it with, it felt like a ton of weight on my chest and anger and hurt and betrayal, brokenness. And I felt like I just I didn't know what to do with it. And I felt like, okay, you're supposed to forgive, but I don't want to forgive. So you can, and it all went, I started thinking about um, early childhood years, Catholicism, and we're, we're talking about going to confession. And, and I never really had this 
feeling of any kind of lightness of being when I came out of a third grade or saying, oh, I, I coveted my sister's, you know, I don't know, candy or something. But, you know, that, that didn't really work for me. Um, and the theology behind that, yeah, as an adult, I didn't go with that. Um, but I had taken a class some years ago at a, at a Presbyterian seminary here, and it was called, Is Human Forgiveness Possible? At that time, it was all abstract to me and this model that he set up. And it really spoke to me on sort of an intellectual level. Well, here was my chance to really do it. So the only way I could come to peace, and I think there's a difference too, between being at peace with yourself and what happened and actually this forgiving someone. Because I do think some things, I, I don't know, I think you cannot be bitter and not harbor anger and not wish ill will and you move and you're fine and it happened and it's okay. But I don't know, is that forgiveness? I don't know. I, mean, I think that in some situations, that's as good as you can hope for, because I went through something very difficult, but my gosh, people go through much worse. You know, people have family members killed or murdered or, you know, all kinds of things. So I, I don't even, I can't even imagine, you know, to put myself in that same company. Absolutely not. But this was a lot for me in my world. This was a lot. Um, the thing that um, fascinated me about those stories were there were 21 women's stories uh -huh. and we have we have a the first ever English-born um, woman Buddhist nun yeah. contributed and obviously uh, Pema Deke and uh, Lindsay Porter who both collaborated together yeah. Pema, comes, Pema comes from such a spiritual grounding and background and I could listen to her words all day. Um, but even she said that sometimes forgiveness isn't always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's something to strive for. One of the other women had actually written a story that said, no, I'm not forgiving them. And I'm, I'm not, I couldn't, I cannot okay. forgive yeah. anybody. Um, all the way through to someone who had said, yes, I forgive them completely and move forward. And it was all shades of light. I was in the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. It was very fascinating, but from a, from a male perspective, reading some of the stories, I was so angry at some of my genders. I was going to say, did you did you quit the male species after that? It was. I mean, the for a kickoff, it was very brave of some of the women to send in what they sent in as pieces mm -hmm. for the book. Um, but yeah, it was confronting when, when you read some of these things and go, how, 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 how? could yeah. you, how, but I'm sure that there are, you could do an anthology of men and there would be, you know, very, very hurtful stories, but yeah. And when you hear from anyone, it, you, that's, I just kept saying how, and especially when it's someone, you know, it, it's just, but, but how, but you, 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 you know, <laughs> You know better than this. You know what this means. And I understand, you know, people in crisis do things that you would never imagine. And they would never imagine themselves doing. And we all, you know, you just don't even know how you might respond in some kind of situation. And that's a big part of that forgiveness model uh, that John Patton talks about, that 
authentic forgiveness as opposed to the ritual the just saying the word oh yeah I, I i'm sorry oh yeah okay i forgive you but but there's no real you know substance to that but i think part of it is when you really do see the other person as yourself when you can see yourself in that place or at least some degree or imagine it maybe you've been that person at another time or you could see why they are doing that um that sort of softens softens you a little bit and again i mean it's really nice when when both sides can participate in this and there'll be enough screaming and yelling and crying and finger pointing to you know that's going to be part of it but then in the end to come to some kind of mutual that we okay we're never going to see each other again but we're both we're good with this you know or maybe it's a friendship and you're able to to get over that or or a relation any kind of relationship um but when you have to do that on your own which is kind of where i was i think i had to forgive myself because at some level there was still the sense of i should have fixed it that's a very female thing i think and certainly a very catholic thing <laughs> if you were raised catholic as a child um uh you know i should have fixed this i should have been able to make this okay i, I this shouldn't have happened or i deserved a bad thing to happen to me because i wasn't good enough i wasn't this enough i wasn't that enough and you know that's crap that's not true but you have to i don't know something really broke in me the night that i wrote about in there and I don't know, you know, spiritually, I'm, I have a, a myriad of beliefs. Um, so is it something that came from within, from without? I'm just going to call it grace, for, you know, from the universe, from God, from wherever. I, I don't know. I had like this release. It was very emotional. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. The story was superb. When you come to write stories, do you have a set place? Do you have to have a, a set routine? Do you get up at 6 a.m. and work until 10? How, how do you write? There is a 6 a.m.? I'm sorry. I was not aware of that. <laughs> how about that? You crazy Australians, you have a.m.s. <laughs> yes. I have only one thing. Um, I have to sit at my computer. Um, I don't know. I, I even have a laptop and I can go other places. I don't know. It's like it doesn't work. But of course, my routine is very much like every other every other writer's routine that I know, um, or at least the undisciplined ones like me. The second I sit down to write, oh, I have to file my nails. I just remembered. I have an urgent need to do that. And, um, oh, I need to go see if I have any stray eyebrow hairs that need to be. I, I sit down and get up about 10 times unless there's something I really like that's just been percolating and percolating. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, a, a boy and having being able to click and just go right to the Internet from your uh, word page is really dangerous these days. Yeah. <laughs> so do, you, do you plan your stories? Do you have you got um, lots, have you got lots I do make notes. I have about four things in my head right now that I have jotted down. And really, um, you know, I write uh, humorous essays and, you know, nonfiction. I I have a very narrow range of skills. <laughs> and um, so I write a lot from absurd and crazy things that happen in life 
or making light of things uh, to get through them or that, you know, it could be something serious or it could just be something totally nutty, like this crazy woman who was driving backwards through the McDonald's parking lot. <sighs> Seriously, I have to live in this world with these people. <laughs> So, um, you know, it's and now that I have grandchildren, as you mentioned, oh, my gosh, they just gave me three great stories. I have two little uh, that live here in the States. I have two little granddaughters and I have a granddaughter in um, Colombia and one that is uh, right now they were transferred to Doha, Qatar, a little boy. So they've given me tons of material. Um, so it's just, you know, I'm a very uh, good observer and I think that I have maybe if I have any kind of you know unique kind of take it's the ability to put dissimilar things together because that's where humor happens to, to put very dissimilar things together and find a similarity or find a common ground like a Venn diagram and it's funny you know where the expected meets the unexpected that's where humor happens and when people are laughing uh, a friend told me when they're laughing, their mouth is open so you can put the medicine in. You can you can deliver the point of your story. And sometimes there's a, a point and sometimes there isn't. <laughs> now, you said there that you've had two books that you were a writer. Then you had the career break from being yeah. a full time writer. Did you study writing at college? Was, was you that... No, I, re I really didn't. I mean, I did and I didn't, not exclusive. My major in college was um, rhetoric and communication. So there was a lot of speech writing, a lot of speaking, um, but not exact, not like a journalism major or not like a writing uh, major. So, uh, but my first job, uh, other than babysitting, you know, um, was at a news station, a news radio station. I had to start writing news stories the very first day. It was supposed to be a summer internship and they hired me on the second day because somebody quit. And so I started that professionally and from that went to public relations writing and um, from that went to script writing and hosting, uh, hosting and producing uh, TV talk shows and, and a lot of PR writing for healthcare and education. Um, but I started, I think the first thing I wrote, um, I wrote poetry, you know, very bad confessional poetry, but little kid poetry. I won a lot of awards for that. And um, I think the first thing I wrote was like fourth grade. I wrote uh, a newspaper for my family. And even that was kind of snarky because it was, I think my whole family needs hearing aids because no one listens to me. <laughs> I was writing an advice column. I was the youngest. Okay. So nobody paid any attention to what I said. So that, yeah, I was always writing uh, for fun, fun and amusement, but um, I didn't write a book until I was 40. You said there that you got awards for your writing and you, you're widely published. Your articles have been yeah. published in all manner of journals well, and newspapers, yeah. et cetera. What's the best feedback you've ever had for your writing? Um, you know, when people, I will get feedback from people, especially about this, because um, my very first book was pure humor because I didn't know my life was gonna fall apart. What I thought were crises in that book, yeah, not really, <laughs> okay. It was about turning 40 and the accompanying falling of everything. 
on your body and your mind deterioration in general because that's when i thought 40 was old oh god strike me dead but anyway um that was just for fun and so a lot of women i really liked hearing them saying oh my god are you standing outside my window watching me because this is exactly what i'm feeling so i feel so validated when somebody when it uh connects with someone when they can relate when they know they're not alone and so the pineapples book, both of them, that's been really um, rewarding in the sense that I get a lot of letters from not professionals, but readers that tell me their stories and they're the same or worse. And it made them feel so much better. And because when things like that happen to you, as I said, you feel like, I don't know, There for me, there was like a great deal of shame around. I was so embarrassed to tell anybody that this was happening to me, that, that I had $5 to last three weeks. You know, I was going to work every day, like everything was fine. And I didn't, I, I, I just didn't, there were only a couple people that really knew the real nitty gritty, or even those that kind of knew I would always be smiling, you know, and laugh, but not really. Um, so it's really nice to have people say, oh, my God, thank you. This is just how I felt. And this this got I had one woman write to me and she said, after I read this, the next day I was able to get out of bed because I thought, well, OK, let, let's 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 try. Let's try. She did it. It's that kind of stuff that's really important. Isn't that amazing that when we can put words down on a page and reach into someone else's consciousness? Um, I, Stephen King, um, who's a god, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yes. His, his yeah. book on writing that says um, it makes you a time traveler. And that's really true. Yeah. Because he, he had said that he was writing his book on writing. Right. Which is a masterpiece. Um, he's yes. writing it on... And he, he puts the day and the time and where he's sitting. He's sitting in mm -hmm. his you know, Maine's office in Maine, rather, um, at a day on a time in a year. And he said, but you're reading this in the future. But yeah. I've got an apple on my desk and, and it, you know, and he, he's time transported that. Exactly. Where you are. And yeah. yeah, for little scratchings on a page, it's quite remarkable. It, isn't it? Isn't it? The, I, someone said to me one time, why do you write? And I said, as you can probably guess, I said, well, it's like silent talking. You know, it's a way to keep talking. <laughs> when the teacher says you're not allowed, okay, I'll write, fine. I'm not allowed to talk in here. I will write. I will show you. But it is stunning. It is stunning the effect that word. How can putting words in a certain order provoke strong emotion? In some, that's how is that even possible? I mean, you have a dictionary sitting there with all these words, it, but you arrange them in one way, and it means one thing to me, and the same thing to someone on the other side of of the world, or or at another time. You know, you read something that was written a hundred years ago, and you relate to the the emotions that are being described. How is that possible? This is sorcery. It is a good job that it's possible, though, because you and I would be we'd be quite limited for work otherwise. Um, so it's good. Now, what's next for Lee Gaten with regards oh, to writing? Oh, boy, this is a really good question, because you need to tell me 
<laughs> I'm trying to figure out what it's time to start a new book. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm just not sure. Something that I thought about um, because I have heard from so many people that maybe something I could do before I write another kind of, you know, story of my own um, would be like an anthology of women, of people who have overcome, who've had their pineapples go to Houston and they bounce, or as I say, don't just bounce, bounce back, you know, because we're all going to take a bad bounce. Some of them are quite grand and some are quite mundane, but everybody, no matter how charmed your life looks, something is going to, you're going to have a setback at some point and you need to develop that resiliency and everybody has different tools, you know, to do that. So I think it's really helpful and interesting to see how some people have managed to overcome and didn't let things totally defeat them, that they did bounce back. So I have thought about that. And, you know, I, something I would love to do, but I need to study a lot, um, maybe like fiction, I would like to be it, but I'm, I'm not, not like, I think of someone like Rika, it's like gold and silver just flows from her tongue or her she's she's like poetry she could write the weather report and it would sound poetic to me it's she's just so talented um and i'm i'm not that i'm not that kind of writer so i don't know how that would would work but that would be an interesting challenge for me but i think i would need to take classes and really you know work on that craft because i don't think it comes naturally to me so the anthology would that see you as an editorial role? So it would be yeah. I think that you? I would probably you know do like an intro and maybe something of mine and kind of a thread through it and a conclusion. But I would really like the opportunity to give other people um, a platform, a place for their voice that don't have if they don't have that outlet right now. Uh, see, but I, they have I a just... story to tell. I must have yeah, just had an idea. Sorry, I just had yeah. an idea spark into my head. That, I saw that. Yes. Yeah, you, <laughs> I know it's that it's that unusual look on my face when it's like, oh. Um, you have people in your classrooms mm -hmm. who are learning English as a second language, who have come from all over the world. Oh. Mm -hmm. They've got stories. Oh, do they ever? That's a. <gasps> That is wonderful because something that would tie in. Wow. That's the other side of this coin because I have a lot of funny stories, of course, with misunderstandings in English and everything. I had a student, for example, is this, what's the rating on this podcast? Oh, well, we'll, we'll bleep, we'll bleep you out if it's that bad. All right. Well, I had a, a young woman, lovely young woman from Colombia. And my husband is actually from Colombia, but she was, I think, the first Colombian I ever met. And very, very bright woman, learning English and learning quickly. <laughs> but she confused the words condo. We say condo here in the States. Do you guys say that too? for condominium? It was condo. Yeah. She went one letter too far and was telling everyone she wanted a condom. And she did not want to buy a new condom because they were so expensive that she would buy a used condom. <laughs> She's telling me this, and I'm going, <laughs> So there's that side of it. Then I had this student um, bake uh, cookies or 
muffins or something for me because we were learning cooking terms and we were pretending we were doing a cooking show and you have to talk to the audience and this and she said would you like one of my one of my muffins i made them from scratching as opposed to scratch <laughs> they're so flaky <laughs> So we I've thought about all the funny things that have happened, but that is a fabulous idea because let me tell you, some of these stories are beyond dramatic. My my husband's own story is really quite dramatic. Well, I was um, just thinking it would be my, interesting to have two halves of the same anthology where you have, you know, Francis from Colombia who struggled uh -huh. through XXX to get to the United right. States and then her funny story about mispronouncing condominiums. Uh, you've got yeah. the you've got the story of how they get there and then the bounce back, which is humorous. So you end up with exactly. stories from one person, but it shows how everybody can come through that journey using their resilience and humor, etc. You're really good at this. You should be an editor, maybe a publisher. <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding. Ian, that's a fabulous idea. Okay, ask me again. What's my next project? Well, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I teach ESL to adults. And um, I was thinking it would be a really great idea to tell their stories. But then like, they're, because I do always ask them, like, what's the worst mistake? And to make everyone feel better. I own up to all of mine in foreign languages. You know, I have, I was in Italy and my family heritage is Italian and I supposedly speak Italian. And I changed one vowel, one little vowel, kind of like um, Olga that went from condo. She went one letter too far. I changed one vowel. In English, the vowels are F, F. Who cares whether you, it was an A or an O, you know? I ended up, instead of asking for my key, I was asking for sex in the most graphic way possible and they're laughing and i think they're laughing at my accent and i'm saying in italian please give it to me now i need it <laughs> oh yeah i was digging myself in deeper and deeper until finally someone whispered in my ear what i was saying and i said oh, yes but first the key first i need the key <laughs> so you know we all if you've ever had to learn another language it, as an adult, it is not easy. And English is a really stinky language to learn. We are horrible. Yeah, yeah. I remember we got, um, we've got that tea, tea tile, you know, dish drying cloth yeah. type of uh -huh. idea where it's got the silly words and the silly poems. And it's uh -huh. there, there, and there, and where, where, exactly. and, and, and uh -huh. look at it. I remembered looking at that as a child and thinking, it would be almost impossible if you came in, you know, if you didn't grow up with this language. Exactly. You'd want to punch people for coming up with oh. the fact that oh. everything sounds the same, but it's spelled differently. Or oh, even different. worse, the O-U-G-H ending on words where it's all spelt the same, <laughs> but it completely changes. And then when you've just got to grasp with it and you put favorite and you spell it without an R, and people on the other side of the planet go, no, there, there's a U missing there. There's a U. You should, you should put a U in. Or in my case, my book that got 
um, a review that said, I enjoyed the story, but the amount of misspellings, the man couldn't even spell colour. Because they were American. <laughs> they were American. And we don't it. need that you. We don't need that you, Ian. <laughs> he'd reviewed it and put R-L-O-R. And I was desperate to Did go online. Did you just want to scream? Well, I wanted no, to go online and reply to him going, no, no, no. It's called, no. English, called English for a reason, my dear chap. Um, but... <laughs> You know, you, you have people to people corrected it. <laughs> you have to take exactly. the rough with the smooth. Um, Lee, thanks ever so much for your time um in oh your goodness, evening and so my much. morning. Well, thank you for giving me my next book idea. Oh well that's okay. Now we're Do gonna end with anything? we're going to end with I'm looking to my right to make sure that I've got the questions here. We're going to oh, end no. with some quick fire questions if you're up for it. Oh. I was hoping that we had, okay, I have not studied, okay? I do not study for personality tests nor vision tests. No, so well, well, you couldn't have studied for this because I haven't All provided right. you the questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, I'm ready. So, author Lee Gayton, what is your uh -huh. favorite book? Uh, Pride and Prejudice. What is your least favorite book, if you have one? Uh, Fahrenheit 451. No, probably not, but I'll say it anyway. What turns you creatively, creativity-wise, what uh -huh. turns you on? Uh, music. What turns chocolate. you on? Oh, chocolate. Uh, yeah. Music with chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Okay. Turns me on. Rain. I well, rain. that's going to be an interesting for the next question. Summer or winter? <laughs> Summer. Don't you even say that W word around me. On a completely free day to do anything you want to, who do you spend it with? My husband. Mountains or oceans? Uh, mountains that run to the sea. <laughs> nice compromise. <laughs> I give that question to my students. <laughs> what is your favorite movie? Oh, um, oh, Saturday Night Fever. I still love that movie. I, that's what came to my mind. <laughs> I do still love that movie. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> One, so I'm not judging at all. I'm not judging. No, not at all. No. I thought you were going to really be cerebral and go, oh. I know. Yeah. I was trying to think of something smart. <laughs> um, what makes you, sorry, who makes you laugh the most? My, um, uh, my daughter, my da like as a non-famous person, my daughter cracks, or my grandkids, they crack me up, yeah. One song to listen to for the rest of your life? Uh, Wait For Me. Oh, who's that? Wait For Me, it was, it's an old Hall & Oates song, and that song slays me every time. Excellent. What smell do you love? <clears throat> Cinnamon. And what? smell do you hate? Yeah, I don't like strong perfume. I don't like strong perfume. Other than a writer or indeed a teacher, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. profession would you like to attempt? Uh, oh, I don't have the skill, but I wish I could be a singer. Okay. And what profession would you not like to do? Uh, a singer in front of people <laughs> <laughs> where they could actually hear me. <laughs> 
And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, all your dogs are here for you, waiting for you. Yes. That's yes, so nice. Greet you. <laughs> Lee, thanks ever so much for taking the time out to chat about some fairly in-depth subjects, especially with regard and to Saturday people. Night Fever. Thank and you. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> we really do hope that, I mean, the Forgiveness Anthology, I think, deserves a much wider audience than the one that it's got so far. It um, the messages are so, they're profound, really. But it yeah. will get there. So thanks yeah. ever so much. I look forward to your new book, Teaching English as a Second Language to My Students <laughs> Bouncing Back. Um, or what to do when your pineapples go to Houston. Exactly. And and with thanks to Ian Hooper. <laughs> My there pleasure. You, go. you take care. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our interviews with author series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility, as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. And join our exclusive mailing list at www.bookreality.com. The next episode will be released this time next week, but until then, stay safe and well. All the best. <laughs>